the means to that end are equally important. And what I really mean by that is you cannot beat voluntary effort out of people. They have to give it. You're listening to the Teak Nation podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Welcome into the Teak Nation podcast. We are thrilled to have as our guest today, Jazz Krizalik, who is the CEO of Bodybuilding.com. And Jazz is joining us during this quarantine, during this COVID-19 pandemic. And we're so grateful for your time, Jazz. The first question I got to ask you is, how are you doing? How are your loved ones doing and those at your company? Yes. Well, thanks, Donnie. Hey, great to be here. Hello, Teak Nation. Hello to everybody. Yeah, we're doing, doing fine, to be honest with you. I mean, given, given that, uh, that it's a new normal and we're all trying to figure out the best path forward to, to navigate what, what is different than it's ever been before, doing great. Everybody's healthy. That's good. We're completely isolated. We're in our cabin. So that makes it even easier. There's no, no civilization around us. So other than that, you know, it's just new normal and we're all figuring it out. Well, that's good to hear. Can you share for our for our guests, and they're actually they're, they're going to now get a great opportunity to to know you a little bit better and make you a higher profile Teak alumnus. Where are you located? Where do you live at? Yeah, so we live in Boise, Idaho. That's our the home base. Been there, you know, ever since graduating college. It's been it's been a great place to live. We absolutely love being here. And you know, right now, currently, I'm talking to you about an hour and a half north of Boise in Donnelly area from a Tamarack Resort. That's where our cabin is. So I'm dialing with you guys from there. Beautiful place. Lots of snow still on the ground, but sunny. Lake is starting to show. So it's, a, it's kind of a nice place to look at. That's beautiful. You had a great transition there. Can, can you talk about your collegiate experience? We, we have collegiate mm-hmm. and alumni members who download the podcast and folks who attend our regional or our international conferences that's one of the first questions that you get from them is talk to our alumni talk about your collegiate experience the the positive the challenges give our give our listeners a little bit of profile of what life was like during your collegiate years well you know i always donnie tell everybody when they ask me how was your collegiate career and i always say if i could groundhog myself into one period of time it would be my last semester of my senior year at the university of idaho at a teak house that was the greatest time of my life, I would put it that way. But let me, let me, let me start back a little bit, maybe. You know, I went to University of Idaho from College of Southern Idaho. So I already had an associate's degree. So I was a transfer JUCO up to U of I. So I was a little bit older than, than most fre- incoming freshmen, so to speak, when I arrived to University of Idaho. And, and I knew all along that I wanted to be in the Greek system. That was one of the very appealing things to me for two reasons. One, being uh, new to any place, it's kind of hard to to assimilate, you know, a fraternity gives you what I call an Insta friends, right? And, and people that can guide and help you acclimate to a new environment. And two, I really knew that fraternities by their nature are really operated almost like tiny little small businesses that are nonprofits. So therefore opportunity to learn and get into leadership roles was something that, that was very interesting to me from a Greek system. You know, when I went up there, I, you know, I had a bunch of invitations from different fraternities, including the Teak House. So I went and stayed with a number of them. And once I entered the Teak House, it just felt like a home to me. I, I really loved the guys that were there, particularly the guy that became my big brother. I just clicked with him and there was just discomfort that I got out of it. What, what was really apparent early on is that unlike other fraternities, the numbers in the Teak House at U of I were smaller. The, the guys were a little bit more mature in, in, in a sense. 
So I kind of, and they had this beautiful house. So I was really kind of puzzled as to why the numbers were smaller and, 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 and why we couldn't, you know, have as, as big of a position on, on the university as other fraternities did. But, you know, I decided to join anyways. I felt like I could contribute. I felt like it was a place where I felt like home. I felt like I could make a difference. And then very quickly after joining, you know, we went on the, on the rush spree and, and, and really did a good job. You know, even Buckwheat came up and worked with us. Uh, we ate some really, really spicy chili. I, I think I still have intestinal problems from that, that meal. And we went out there and really rushed hard for all the guys that we felt had a cultural and attitude alignment with what we were trying to accomplish as a house. And we doubled our numbers in the first month. And it was great. All of a sudden, we had this kind of a pride and a, and, and a, and a very, very strong and active push and, and like every other house, I'm sure that all the members of our fraternity can attest to this. You know, like every other house, 80-20 rules applies. You know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's just the nature of the of almost any organization. And you know, th- th- that 20% was super committed. You know, guys like Adam Browning and Jerry Johnson and a few others were just you know rolling up their sleeves up to their shoulders. And and we went to work and that pride led us to, you know, winning homecoming events that year with, you know, half the membership that some of the other guys and other fraternities had. And then we just kind of kept growing from there and kept doing the right things. I think what we kind of got caught up there towards the end, maybe a little bit is, you know, one and more numbers. And then you kind of start being uh, what I would call a little loose in about who the type of guy is that you want in your house. And that usually doesn't have a great longevity. But as a house, we, we really kind of made a name for ourselves those couple of years, um, you know, winning homecomings three years in a row, having a really strong presence on campus, leading the intrafraternal council conversations, and, and really, you know, being tied in with the university. So coming in, kind of a smaller house, we rebuilt it really fast, felt really good about that. And, you know, collegiate experience was just wonderful from that point forward. I hope that that's kind of what you were after. I'm kind of summarizing, you know, three years in a in a very quick time frame. But <laughs> right, that's I'm happy to, to go further. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the challenge, right? Trying to put three years of your life into five minutes. But I think that was very well done. What's great to hear is the pride in your voice of talking about the reclamation project and the rebuilding of the chapter and engaging, engaging new members and, and engaging current mm-hmm. members and, and building that piece up. And it's also good to hear that you've, you've joined the decades of men that are still recuperating from buckwheat cooking. I mean, there's a long, distinguished <laughs> list good to know that your, your name has been added to that. So it's something to be proud yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, I, I love he was, he, well, he was cooking. I was helping him in the kitchen. Actually, it was me. And he called me that kid with a funny name. And, you know, he's like, hand me that over there. I was like, this whole cayenne pepper thing? Yeah, he's like, and he opens it and dumps the whole thing in. And I'm like, this is not, this is not going to be edible. There's no way that we can eat this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he was a great guy. He, he was a great guy. It was, it was fun to do that with him. As you, as you look back on your collegiate experience and, and you shared a, a very, very strong parallel, which is that it really is a, running a small nonprofit. What are lessons that you learned during that time that you have transitioned into into taking your current organization, being the CEO of that that company? And, and it's also good for you to give a little bit of of life to your company and what you do day in and day out, and the services that you provide for our for our listeners. What what are the skills that you took from that those collegiate years and all of that rebuilding and all of those success that you had and, and transitioned it into your professional life? Yeah, gosh, you know, uh, too bad we only have an hour. This could be a day conversation. So. I'll start here. I'll go back to, to the time when I was a preteness in the house. 
And I think that that, that first semester of being, being in a position of a president, I would chalk that up as one of the gross failures of my life. Just because as a leader, I feel like I want to do the right thing. The means to that end are equally important. And what I really mean by that is you cannot beat voluntary effort out of people. They have to give it. They have to volunteer it. The effort has to be volunteered. And I almost went into it knowing all of the things that we had to do. And I applied almost an iron fist model to it. Like, we're going to do it. And everyone that doesn't want to do it is just not worthy. And it was a gross failure. You move people that are already wanting to do that with you anyways. They're going to support you anyhow. But people that need to be convinced one way or the other, they're not going to give you that volunteerism unless they understand what is your vision, what are you hoping to accomplish, and how does it, how does it fit with what they want to do. So that first semester, I really, really struggled as a preteenist. I, I, I had direct conflict with, uh, with members of the chapter. I had ample amount of conversations with the rest of the officers about why is it that we're not getting the kind of output? You know, why can't everybody just volunteer an hour a day to their chapter? That's all we're really asking. You know, but they felt almost like it was a South American dictator, you know, telling them to do something instead of a, a, a member of their fraternity and a, and a fellow father trying to, trying to do the right thing. The second semester, I would say, was significantly different. I, I went home and and reflected on, on, on what I've done as, as a leader and how I failed. And, and then I came back with a totally new, new perspective and, and started operating more as a servant leader. I am doing this voluntarily for you guys. And here's what I think we need to do. And here's how I think all of you are empowered to help us out and get this done. And next thing you know, you're never going to get 100% of the house to be doing the right thing. But we went at least to 80% of people doing the right thing and, and really volunteering their time. I started, you know, spending more quality social time with the team instead of truly just managing the house. And that was a big deal to, to, to people when they felt like they, I'm not just a guy that they have to be scared of, that he wants something out of them. It's, it was a guy that's part of them and, and, and chewing the same dirt with them. So I really thought that you know, as a leader, my job is to, to, to be tough and, and drive the agenda and make sure that everybody does their job. Uh, turns out as a leader, your job is really to motivate people, provide them with clarity and empower them to do the right thing. And once I did that in the house, we had what I would consider to be a wilder success than ever before. And frankly, I was happier and lighter too myself. That's so. a phenomenal lesson because I know, I think we've all, we've all had a preteness at some point in our collegiate career for those of us who join TK during college. Uh, we've all had that preteness who came in and and did rule with an iron fist and and was frustrated because many of the officer positions, many of the guys who are who are invested in that in that way, they are committed to that hour a day and sometimes much more than that, right? And it, it is challenging at mm -hmm. times when you're so committed and you're so passionate about something just to to gain the perspective of those who are not as passionate as you. But it's great to hear how you not only recognized that, but overcame yeah, it and shifted and changed. And hopefully at least one person who's possibly one of those pre night out there, hears this and, and at least takes during this time of uh, isolation to, to think about that and, and to also consider what are more effective ways that they can, can lead and inspire and motivate. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely true, Donnie. And, you know, when you step out of the collegiate world, particularly if you were a preteness, you know, there's, you already have a predisposition to lead. And to, and to kind of be in charge. So that's good. But I promise you, when you get out into the real world, even from the preteness time, when you get into the real world, 
people will put up with that iron fist even less than than they do in a house and because they have other options right it's like it's not like you can quit your chapter and join another chapter i mean i guess you could but that's just not a not not what people do <laughs> while in a work environment if i was if i was a ceo of bodybuilding.com in the same manner in which i was the preteness the first semester in the house i think i'd have mutiny on my hands and likely have my board remove me because i'm obviously an incompetent leader who does not know how to motivate people well, luckily, you're not in that position. So can you highlight for our, for our listeners, bodybuilding.com, yeah. talk a little bit about the platform, talk a little bit about the work. Yeah. What's, your, what's your life like day in and day out, the challenges you have, the opportunities that you might get that you, you wouldn't anywhere else in, in the world that you're lucky enough to lead? Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that question greatly. So bodybuilding.com is a very large online platform. For health and fitness. So we operate a very large content platform, a media platform for with articles and videos that people come in. And when I say large, it's about close to 200 million unique visitors every year to our website. So it's, it's a quite sizable business. We make money by selling supplements in our e-commerce platform on that website and subscription services for our body fit solution, which is, you know, training nutrition supplementation solution that prescribes workouts, it prescribes nutritional packages and, and, and a patch to success in a fitness journey. We also have a very large community of people that interact in our body space and forums. That's about 50 million people annually interact in that community. Our social media platform is sizable. We have 13 million social media followers that we engage and interact with uh, on a daily basis. Our YouTube channel is the largest fitness channel in the world. It's about 4 million subscribers. So it's, it's a very large company from a reach and exposure, but we operate with you know, close to 350 employees. So we're not like a billion you know, dollar company with all those employees, but our reach and a presence in the minds of the people that are in a fitness journey is very large and kind of omnipresent. You know, today obviously is a different time than ever. On a normal basis, you know, our challenges are, and things that we wrestle with is Amazon, number one, right? I think that everybody that's in any space so that it's retail and or e-commerce, you know, Amazon is a Goliath that walks the earth that we all are having to compete with. I, I just take a little bit of a different look on Amazon. I look at them as a great teacher. What is it that we can learn from them that they're doing well, that it's implementable for us? versus what are the areas that we can never do that they are doing effectively well and just try not to compete head on in that space because you know for every pound of gasoline I can bring to the fight they'll bring 100 so there is no point in in going head on it's better to partner with them or figure out a way to manage this so we did we sell some of our private label business we sell some of our exclusives on Amazon and partnering with Amazon on making sure that we take advantage of their presence in the market today other stuff is you know there is a million of what I would call unqualified fitness solutions out in the world today. I think there's something like 1.2 million fitness apps in iOS. And, uh, you know, you can take a million and throw them down the river because it's just somebody putting an Excel spreadsheet into a fitness app and calling it a fitness app. It's also a matter of, you know, who is it that it's instructing you what to do in fitness? You know, our content is written by PhDs and highly qualified people that know what they're talking about. Versus, you know, Donnie, you and I can start a fitness app tomorrow. There wouldn't be a problem, right? But are you and I right. qualified to tell people what to do? I think that, that, that that's kind of the, the other challenge that in the, in the time of social media and everyone having their own media channel, there's just a lot of noise about what's the right thing to do for a user. And let's be honest, fitness, as, as helpful as it, as it is to a human, if done incorrectly, can also be damaging. You can have, you know, 
joint and muscle injuries and you know, spinal injuries. You can have bad diets that hurt your, your digestive tract and things of that nature. So I think just competing with people that are not qualified, that, that I would say is a normal. Today, none of that is just normal. Today, we're competing with the world that it's upside down. Some of our competitors are in a really, really tough spot because they have brick and mortar places that people cannot go into. Supply chains are compressed, as you can imagine. We sold out of vitamin C in first week of the crisis, and wow. it's very hard to get your hands on more vitamin C. We sold out of the home gym equipment in the first week of the crisis. But, you know, to get more dumbbells onto our platform so people can buy them is, you know, 12-week lead time. Because guess what? Those dumbbells are built in China, right? So you have you have these very compressed supply chain metrics going on right now. And then, you know, all of our employees are working from home. I'm working from home. We don't have the normal everyday meetings that we normally would and war rooms to, to enact initiatives. But on a positive side, I will say that we also don't have a lot of time wasters today with coronavirus. Our meetings are very deliberate, very thoughtful. They are decision-making meetings rather than, you know, opining meetings. So on one hand, it has helped us with productivity. On the other hand, it has just, you know, compressed the supply chain and our ability to enact things fast. Well, thank you for that. Very, very illuminating. It's also showcases and highlights every business is in unique, has unique challenges right now and, and unique areas that they're having to tackle and be innovative and thoughtful. And it's, it's very interesting, at least for me, and I'm sure for our listeners to hear in your, in your area, something that there are, there is a lot of demand right now. The challenge is now in, in sourcing and, and getting and meeting yeah. that demand. That's exactly right. When we, ha- when we have conferences, it, heck, even when we go and do chapter visits, you, you hear more and more of our collegiate members and even, even our young alumni who talk about wanting to be an entrepreneur and, and starting a business mm-hmm. and running a business and creating something. And so for someone who has done that, can you highlight what are the qualities that if I'm, if I'm one of those students or if I'm 40 years old and now you know, with this COVID-19 crisis, right, there are going to be people who are making shifts in their future careers and maybe their whole life they thought about being an entrepreneur, but they didn't take that leap and now they might. What are, what are some mm-hmm. tips, what are some qualities, things that they should consider if they are wanting to go down that road of being an entrepreneur that they need to be successful, that makes it unique versus yeah. uh, going and, and joining a major corporation out of college? Gosh, that's such a great question, Donnie. I'll say this, a couple of things. Let's start with the qualities because I think that that's what's important. I would say that the, the, the mental and emotional makeup that you have to have as an entrepreneur is different than if you're going to go work for a large corporation. If you work for a large corporation, in most, most instances, they're too big to fail, so to speak, right? So there's a comfort in the fact that what you are tasked with is whatever might be your functional area of responsibility. So if you're an accountant, you're going to come in, you're going to do your job really, really well, Hopefully you'll be, you know, somebody that exhibits some leadership traits and you're going to become accounting manager and so on and so on, become a controller, EVP, yada, yada, right? If you're an entrepreneur, your mental makeup has to be totally different. There is no one functional area you're responsible for. You're responsible for all of them. And your mental makeup has to be very steadfast and you cannot flinch because 80% of the time, things will look bleak early on. 80% of the time, that your business, whatever it is that you have sunk your teeth into, will not be cash flow positive. You will have to have tough conversations with either people that you have hired or people that you're partnering with. You will have to get scrappy and nimble. You will have to make sure that the passion and the idea that led you to do this 
was really what you wanted to do, not something that sounded like an easy money maker. I would actually start there. So sorry, I'm kind of spoken here, but I'm going to reframe that. Whatever it is that you want to be an entrepreneur about, it better be a thing that you believe in wholeheartedly. Because if you're starting it because it seems like an easy money grab, chances of failure are probably 10x higher than if you don't. If you have really passionate about something and you understood what it is that you want to get out of that business model, you understood how that passion can translate into, into a business, then you, you already are there. Then you have to have that mental capacity to withstand a crisis and the times of, of doubt. If you're weak at the knees, it's very hard to be an entrepreneur because on a monthly basis, you'll face things that are either cash flow challenges, personnel challenges, partner challenges that will make it, they'll make it hard to just say, oh, I'm going to keep going with this. You don't face those things in corporate world. What you face in corporate world is I don't like my boss. I don't like my colleague. I feel underpaid. As an entrepreneur, you may always feel underpaid because you're on the clock 24-7. So uh, hopefully that helps, Donnie. I, I probably could have framed yeah. it a little better, but I hope that helps. No, no, I think that's phenomenal. You, you know, I'm sure you've heard Simon Sinek, who always his, his big push is, what is your why? And that's whenever I think about exactly that why is, is unbelievably critical. And for the fraternity, you know, for me every day, it's, it's the mission. And I'm sure for you, you have a mission and that, that mission can help to yep. drive you. The mission of the fraternity is to aid men in their mental, moral, and social development for life. That's what gets that's exactly us out right. better. How can we develop people? Exactly How can we put folks in a better position to be successful? So that that's absolutely crucial. And I appreciate you highlighting that. And I think it's, it's phenomenal for the folks out there listening to give them that perspective because there are unbelievably, I think, sexy parts of being an entrepreneur, right? And, and parts that look yeah. glamorous, but there's yeah. also yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many challenges mentally, physically. And, and the, the piece that you highlighted and touched on a little bit was mentally. I think that that's an area w- through the conversations that you and I have had in the past, something that, that we share, which is how critical it is mentally to be strong. Are there any other aspects you want to talk about in, in terms of the mental focus, maybe folks that you study, books that you read, folks you, you take in podcasts or webinars or, or old YouTube videos and watch some of their speeches? Are there any guys who really inspire you on, yeah. on that mental aspect that push you to be better and, and help to frame your leadership style? Yeah, there's so many, but I'll, I'll talk about one that, that I've really sunk my teeth into as a CEO of bodybuilding.com because it was absolutely necessary in order for me to drive the company to the new heights. I don't know if you ever heard of Patrick Lencioni or his model in the book, The Advantage. Highly recommended to all of the team members to read that. And what it really is, is talking about is how to, how to lead from a position of clarity. And, and I think that for entrepreneur, clarity is everything in a mental model. If you're clear with what you're trying to accomplish, how you're trying to accomplish it, and why is that valuable to somebody else, then you can align all of your work streams. You can align people that are with you, your partners, your investors to that same story. If you are still wrestling with clarity of purpose and a clarity of how we behave with each other, i.e. culture, if you're still not clear about who do you serve and how do you serve them? And what is your differentiation from others? It becomes almost impossible to get funding. It becomes almost impossible to get people to join you in that task. And then every day you wake up trying to do unholy things just to survive instead of having a clear path outlined for yourself on things that you want to do. So this book is absolutely phenomenal. I call it a, you know, it's a, it's a two beer book. You know, by the time you're done with two beers, you probably read the book, but you are, you're getting out of it what, at least what I got out of it is that 
before you go marching forward with what is it that you're going to ask others to do, make sure you're clear with yourself about what you're trying to do. And then, you know, memorize in, in writing that clarity for others and hand it to them. So, you know, just six months ago, we, I and my leadership team wrote a vivid vision for our company. And we took those questions like, what's our purpose? How do we behave with each other, our culture? You know, who do we serve? How do we serve them? And we wrote it. We literally wrote a 50-page presentation that's not meant to be presented, but meant to be read. And every member of our organization has it. If I are hiring you, we give you that before we hire you, and you read it, and you say, can I commit to this or not? And if you believe in it, and you really strongly understand the clarity of what we're trying to do, then it becomes a lot easier for you to volunteer your best effort. Hopefully, you're here to this theme of clarity. You've got to be clear about what you're trying to accomplish. Otherwise, nobody else will follow. Well, and I love that you're painting a vision for the employee coming in of what are expectations and where are we trying to go and what are we trying to do? Something that, that you, you referenced during your, your collegiate experience, especially towards the back end, was that you started to waver a little bit in terms of what I would call standards and, and some of the men that you are allowing in. How critical when you're running an organization, you're an entrepreneur, you're a manager, you're a leader, how critical are standards and even more so in being a leader, Jazz, I know one piece that, that you think about is what you will tolerate and what you won't. Can you give that a yeah. little bit of life? Yeah, I, I love that last part of the question, Donnie. I pride myself on, on intolerance. Some things you just cannot tolerate. You cannot tolerate a member of your house smoking weed in a house. You just can't tolerate it because it puts everybody else in danger. It puts the whole chapter in danger. It puts the university in danger. So that cannot be tolerated. Even if that's the best guy in the whole world, even if that's the nicest dude, even if everybody loves so-and-so, it doesn't matter. You just can't tolerate those things. So let me take a step back on, on, on the question. Culture, people talk about culture all the time. I wanna make sure that, that, that at least as I'm speaking about culture, you understand what I, what I think culture is. To me, culture is not how your house looks who's in it, does it have a hot tub or not, is the chef good or not, is the schedule of chores acceptable to me as an 18-year-old or not. The culture is set of behaviors that are rewarded or punished. That's all it is. What behaviors is it that we're rewarding? That becomes your culture. So if you're comfortable with everybody not picking up their socks off the floor, then that's your culture. Your culture is the house where everybody has their socks on the floor. That's just, that's just what it is because we tolerate it. We accept it. We think that it's a right thing to do. So therefore, it becomes that. If you are allowing a group of your members to seclude from everybody else and form a clique and kind of put, put those three guys ahead of everybody else in a room because that's how they feel, then that's your culture. Your culture is the one that is forming click. If it's allowed and tolerated, frankly, it becomes rewarded over time, and then that becomes your culture. So what, when we were talking about, when I was referencing earlier that we kind of let ourselves in, in, in a wrong direction, is we got comfortable with saying, okay, well, not everybody's going to be a great geek. Not everybody's going to be an amazing member of the chapter. But, you know, there's bills, there are things that we want to pay, there's the social budget that we would love to expand, there's all these things. So it's okay to have 20% of the guys in a house not be great guys, but, you know, acceptable guys. And the minute you make that conscious choice, you have told everyone else in the world that might ever sniff your chapter that your chapter is comfortable with mediocrity. Your chapter is okay accepting somebody who under normal circumstances you wouldn't 
but because you wanted a financial security of the payment from that person, you accepted them in a building. The minute you make that decision, the minute that that becomes a thing that you're comfortable with, the inevitable decline of the chapter starts. It is almost inevitable. So you would rather have lower and smaller social budget. You would rather have smaller house. You would rather not have that hot tub. You would rather have all those things and go to war with 20 lions than 100 sheep. That's, that's kind of the, the perspective that I would put to that, Donnie. Yeah, I love that. And you and I talked about that because the piece that I don't want folks to hear in that, especially knowing your personality, is there are groups that they have 15, 18, 20 guys, right? And they've had that many guys for a long amount of time, Jazz. And they say, well, you know, we've always had this many and, you know, we're a tight brotherhood and, and they allow that thought process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 20 lions, right? When they're, they, they can go get a hundred lions if they work the right exactly. way, the right way and grow the right way. So that's the piece too. I want folks to hear. Don't hear this as jazz saying, Hey, it's okay to have 20 guys. Jazz wants to have a hundred lions. If you can go get them, that's right. But don't shift, don't shift your standards. Do the, do the work, put in the, the, you know, the scratching, that's the falling, the, all the back work to get those guys. Cause it's going to be extra that's work exactly. to go find studs and the type of guys that we want to have in the chapter. It's going to be work. They're not just going to walk to your front door and say, Hey, Jazz, sign me up. Exactly. I think you, you just nailed it there, Donnie. I think that you're absolutely right. I, by no means would I tell somebody that it's okay to have a, only 20 lines if you can have 100. But that means you got to go do the work. You have to do the work. People are not going to just show up to your door. Because if you establish a chapter of sheep and not lions, sheep will keep coming. Birds of a feather flock <laughs> together. They will keep coming. That, that doesn't mean that you settle. Settling is not an option. You but you can get 100 lines. You really can. You just got to roll up your sleeves and, and be diligent. You know, rush to your job is not just to fire off a couple of emails in June and hope that people respond back. There is a lot more to that job. That's the hardest job, by the way, in the chapter. And that guy should be put on the shoulders if he's doing a good job. But you, you have to have a clarity of the type of person that you want in your house. Why do you want that type of person in the house? The preetness and a rush chair and and, and priorities, everybody needs to be aligned that that's the type of person that we want in the house. And then you got to take 10,000 incoming students and find your hundred out of those 10,000. But be, yeah, be selective, it. but you got to roll up your sleeves. And I think a lot of times, you know, specifically when a chapter grows, it's very easy to, to rest on your laurels and just say, ah, everybody wants to be part of our chapter because we're the largest on the campus and we throw the coolest parties. Well, if all you're getting is a bunch of guys that will just want to be there because you throw coolest parties, eventually you will collapse because nobody's doing any work. Everybody's just waiting for the next party. Right. And well, I'll tell you this, as in, in our current environment, looking at our future, right, short term, we don't know if we're going to be able to have social events, right? Students might be going mm -hmm. back to campuses, but, but we're not allowed to get 10 people together. So now all of a sudden that structure you built is, is completely collapsed. So you've got to make That's sure right. that you're built on relationships, you're built on growing people, you're built on things that we can continue to do without having to, to get groups of 20 to 30 to 100 to 500 people together. So that, that's part of that nimbleness. But I really heard in there from you, Jazz, clarity, alignment, and hustle. You know, those are three things. Yeah, you nailed it. Fraternity's built on three on, in three. So th those are the things that you have to do uh, if you want, want long-term success and continued success year after year after year. I love, That's right. And look, the fraternity already gives you a, a great platform to operate from. It gives you a love, charity, and esteem. Okay, now make what do those three things mean to us as a chapter? And what type of a 
person, what type of an individual do we want that exhibits those things and how do they manifest themselves? That doesn't, you know, how I see charity and how Donnie sees charity may be totally different things, but it can all point back up to the, to what, what the fraternity, the national fraternity has put forth in front of us. So you already have that blueprint. If you just go out there and then say for our chapter, it means this type of a person, you form a clarity when a guy walks through the door on a rush day and it's talking to you in, in a matter of five minutes, you can discern whether this is a lion or a sheep for your fraternity. They may be a lion for somebody else. They may be a lion for another fraternity, but you can very, very quickly determine if this person is going to be somebody that's going to add value to your house or detract from the value that you're trying to build in your house. Absolutely. And that is what it's about right there. All about value. I've got a couple couple questions that I want to wrap us up with. But before I get to that, Jazz, are there other lessons, ideas, thoughts in talking to our organization? And it's obviously very rare that we get a chance to speak, speak to the entire organization at one time. But with that platform, any tips, lessons, thoughts you wanted to share as we start to yeah. wrap up this phenomenal episode with our membership? Yeah, I, I would say one thing, Donnie, you know, I, I give these classes and speeches at local universities all the time. And, you know, professors always ask, what's one thing that you would want to tell our students? Because we're effectively talking to students right now. I think it's also applicable. In my 20-year professional career, I have never seen somebody get fired for being stupid. But I have seen a lot of people get fired for not knowing how to get along with others. I would say that getting along and understanding how to see others' point of view is going to make you a way better person, a way better leader, and certainly a better member of the chapter. Seek to understand before you're understood. If you understand where the other person is coming from, you're going to be easy to get along with and align with and do things with. And if you can be that person, then the, the, the C parts for you, so to speak. People want you to be part of their organization. If you're a constant naysayer, if you're constantly a guy that we provide you a free chicken, but you complain it's not steak, people don't want to be around you. I love it. Empathy is one of those qualities that if you, if you research and you study leaders, almost every single transformative leader in the history of the world has had empathy. And uh, it, is a, it is a critical aspect. Jazz, what, is, what does the future hold for you? What are, what are your future goals and dreams as someone who has been extremely successful and, and you highlighted you know, the, the tremendous impact that bodybuilding.com has? But for you personally and for the company, what, what's the future hold? What do you, what do you want to accomplish? What, do you, what would make you feel even, even more impactful than you do currently? I don't feel like I've accomplished everything that I need to accomplish in this role yet. So I still feel like I have a lot of lots to squeeze out of the rock, so to speak. You know, I feel that bodybuilding.com and, and me as a leader of it, what we really haven't done yet is delivered a complete total package solution for every individual. If you think about fitness, people fail at fitness for three reasons. One, they get hurt. Two, it's too hard. Three, I don't understand how to do it. If we can make it convenient, accessible, and easy to understand and make it all happen to them in a digital platform, all of the four components of the fitness, the training, nutrition, motivation, and supplementation all comes together, I think we would, we would start to see the world get healthier, stronger, and better. And when a crisis like COVID-19 comes, our bodies will be better prepared to deal with situations like that. So I still feel like we have a lot more to do in taking all the value that we provide today and really integrating it into a singular solution that people get to point, use to, to make themselves a much healthier person. Our nation is sick today, let's be honest, not just because of COVID-19, obesity, diabetes, 
cancer is just rampant in this country, right? And our food is horrible. And we feel like as a company, we have an opportunity and, and frankly, even a duty and responsibility to, to do more and put ourselves in a position where we can provide easy solutions for people to use to not fall off of that fitness journey. I know we, we, we believe firmly that couch is the enemy. So let's get people off the couch. On a personal side, you know, one of my great passions has always been teaching and, 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 and imparting, you know, some, some little bit of wisdom that I might have gathered from others along the way back to them. So I would love at some point in time to teach at a collegiate level. That's something that I would love to do. Take all of the experiences from a corporate world and, and what I've learned there and uh, all of the experiences from a personal life and put them, put them to good use by shaping the minds of the future teaks that might be at some university. There'd be some lucky students to have your passion, your energy, and, and obviously your, your tremendous experience. Where can people, people who hear this and, and they're inspired, they're motivated, they want to learn more about you, they want to connect with you possibly, or even learn more about, about your organization? How can they find you? How can they connect with you? Obviously, yeah. bodybuilding.com, they can go and see the website, but what are ways that they can connect and interact with you? Yeah, God bless social media for good connections and damn it for everything else that it does. <laughs> right? But, uh, you know, if, you, if any member of, the, of our fraternity is wanting to connect with me about career advice, if they want to connect with me about they're running a business and they want to just, you know, bend, bend an ear of a fellow leader and kind of ask, hey, how did you deal with this situation? Or gosh, I can maybe ask them, maybe they know more. Or they think they can offer something to me to do better on bodybuilding.com, LinkedIn LinkedIn is the best place for that. I'll connect on a professional level with everybody there. If anybody just wants to connect and go, hey, man, here's a picture of a cool fraternity and what we're doing, love your speech and stuff like that, you can do that also on LinkedIn, but you can also see me on Facebook for that as well. Those are the two best options. I don't tweet, so. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Well, Jazz, thank you so much for making time, especially we understand so many challenges during this quarantine time and all the, the commitments to your time and folks that you're balancing, especially with an organization with the size and scope and employees and all the things that you're, you're continuing to balance. So thank you for making time. Thank you for this episode of the podcast and for delivering this valuable advice and messages and content to our membership. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for seeking me out for this and giving me the humble privilege of, of doing it. And, you know, I, no time, no time has been wasted. This is opportunity for life and I'm happy to contribute in this small, small manner.